0: You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right too with savings on Miracle Grow potting mix with fertilizer to help you get growing and grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50 quart bag now for just ten dollars. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32 quart vegetables and herbs three for ten dollars for a garden that's worthy of showing off. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through six five while supplies last. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii get up and do my thing Uh Uh i want to get into it man you know Uh like i you know i'm the man don't you Uh
1: can i count it off Uh one two three four you're listening to the church politics podcast with michael ware and justin gibbony where you can get in-depth political analysis from a christian worldview transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square
0: the of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. this is the church
2: politics podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Uh, Justin, it's good to be with you this week. We have an exciting guest.
1: That's right. We have Rachel Anderson from the Center for Public Justice joining us today. Uh, She does a lot of work, a lot similar to what we're doing, but she's going to be here to talk about paid family leave and why paid family leave is uh, so important to Americans and a policy that we should all be getting behind.
2: You know, we'll next week we'll dive into all of the. uh the the latest and greatest or not so great uh from current events but i i hope our listeners will uh appreciate uh Uh, more extended conversation on a specific policy issue that we try and bring you from time to time just to kind of zoom out a, a little bit from the, from the weekly fray and, uh, and, and try and have a conversation that, uh, maybe gives us all something to think about. Uh, it gives us all something to, to, uh, put our, put our eyes on, uh, in the midst of, you know, political craziness, including, and we won't, we won't talk about this too in depth, but there was a giant Trump baby balloon over the city of uh, London this week. And so, you know, I think, I think that's a pretty good, like, pretty good, like avatar for, you know, the, the level of political discourse that's that's happening right now. Uh, <laughs> but but this episode is going to be a break from that. So, uh we we're, we're going to have again Rachel Anderson, uh Rachel uh is the resident fellow with the Center for Public Justice. Uh she uh, I've known Rachel for uh, uh quite some time. She helped set up the the sort of the the Faith Coalition uh to speak out against predatory lending. Uh and then uh, before that, she was the executive director of the Boston Faith and Justice Network. So, uh, And we talk about this a bit in the interview, but Rachel is really the example and example of someone uh, who has combined her faith and her faith has motivated her uh, to deal with public issues and public things. And we we hold that in high esteem here at the Church Politics
1: Podcast.
2: Uh, j- Justin, anything uh, else that uh, our listeners should know before they uh, before they listen in on our our conversation,
1: not really. Just pay, pay co- close attention. The Center for Public uh, Justice is an organization that you should keep your eye on. But she's going to give us a lot of good information on paid family leave policy and some principles that should be uh, in whatever policy is chosen right. by our legislators. Well,
2: folks, uh, uh, we're going to take a, a very quick break and then we'll be back
1: with Rachel Anderson.
2: This is the Church Politics Podcast. This is the Church Politics Podcast, and Justin and I are thrilled to have with us uh, Rachel Anderson. Uh, Rachel is a resident fellow at the Center for Public Justice, one of our favorite organizations here at the podcast, uh, and where she leads the Families Valued Project. And we're, we're just honored to have you with us, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Uh, uh, we know it's a big week for you. Big week for uh for the Center for Public Justice. Uh, this week you're releasing a new report called "Time to Flourish: uh, Protecting Families' Time for Work." and care which examines the growing pressures on family time through historical and theological frameworks uh and this report comes on the heels of a US Senate a panel on paid family leave uh and uh Rachel, tell us a a bit, Uh, Justin and I had the opportunity of attending a session that Center for Public Justice put together that uh, contributed to the uh, making of this report with uh, religious and social service leaders uh, talking about uh, uh, issues of paid family leave and workplace flexibility and the family. Uh, Tell us a bit about this report. What went into it? and, and and you know really why you were drawn uh, to, to to this work?
3: Sure. Uh, so the report has been about a year in the making. Um, last fall, Caitlin Beatty and I—Caitlin is um, has a, a writer and um, has been editor with Christian Today. We got together and started to talk about how. Christians can address uh, what is known commonly as work-family balance or work-life stress, um, but particularly wanted to think about that through the lens of family. Um, We spent last fall this winter interviewing um, families, parents, uh, Christians in leadership to understand how they had experienced and observed family stress and what would be some of the responses. Um, and then that, uh, that round of interviews along with some theological reflection and historical reflection all went into the making of this report that we're releasing this week. And it talks about, again, this challenge of work and family life, how it affects families and particularly those who are um, less resourced and working in low wage jobs, asking the question, how do we honor and support all families? Um, I'd love to share, you know, even further back, there's work that the Center for Public Justice has been doing in thinking about this question, even starting with, um, CPJ's work on welfare reform and the supporting of working families back in the nineties.
2: It's incredible. Uh, Rachel, you were, you spent, oh, obviously we want to talk more about the report, but just to talk about, uh, about you a little bit, uh, uh, you came to CPJ after, uh, Being at the Center for Responsible Lending. Uh, Previous to that, you were uh, with the Boston Faith and Justice Network. So you've been in this sort of faith and public policy space for a long time. Uh, Kind of tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about what drew you to this space and kind of what the uh, just, just how you view your you know, kind of your, your career so far, kind of, uh, uh, kind of what does that look like being at the intersection of, of faith and public policy?
3: Well, the quite, uh, truly the first thing that drew me to it was the Bible. I, I grew up in the, in the, in the church and, uh, as, and learned a lot of scripture and, um, it became really clear to me that God cares a great deal about, um, what I think I'd now say human flourishing and the well-being of all of his creation. Um, and that includes how we live together, how we, um, uh, you know, how we seek justice for, um, each, each, uh, human person. So that's quite honestly the beginning, but I, um, think more specifically, I went to law school in the 2000s and was at the time thinking about, um, working in kind of a service orientation, legal services, um, but continue to be drawn to how it was, how the public decisions that we make um, matter and um, affect people's lives. And so that's what drew me to uh, work in kind of public life. Mostly it's been... um, some version of community building and institution building, um, helping Christians talk with one another and then enter into the public sphere in a way that's authentic to our faith um, and where we can can bear witness um, to, to Christian teaching and, and do so in a way that um, is respectful of the pluralism around us um, and yet firmly con, uh, committed and convicted Um, the work I did just prior to CPJ was in, um, organizing faith leaders, um, to address predatory lending and in particular, in particular payday lending, which, um, means very high cost loans often targeted at very low income households and communities and um, saw the ways that that could be really destructive for households would keep households from building wealth and building assets. Um, And many other faith leaders saw that challenge as well. Um, So I formed a coalition called Faith for Just Lending, um, which has been continuing to advocate for um, more just lending and, and protections against predatory lending. Um, this project then, in the middle of that, I became a mother and um, mm. have now two young children, and so experienced that transition from um, working and, in truth, feeling that that work that I was doing in the world was a mission, um, and also now having this calling of being a parent and um, reflecting on how God would have both of those Um, missions work together and also thinking seriously about the sacrifices um, on all sides. So um, things that I uh, might need to sacrifice in my work in order to um, uh, to parent and uh, also form and shape my household.
1: (laughs) Excellent. It it is always uh, good to hear from a fellow attorney that's doing good work (laughs) like you are. Uh, We can get a bad rap sometimes, but it is good to hear all the work that you're doing and how you're applying what you learned in law school for the better, uh, using your power for good. Right. Um, I uh, Michael and myself had an opportunity to read. Uh, the report early uh, I, I completely i'm I'm completely in support of what you guys are doing thankful for the work that you're doing and and when it comes to the and campaign uh, uh, policy that supports families is is big for us that is part of our platform and we um are are ready to, you know, to support those things. So thank you for what you're doing. In my public recommendation of your report, uh, I said that if we fail to prioritize supporting and empowering families, then most of our other policy pursuits will be in vain. Um, I believe that it is time to enact significant paid family leave legislation uh, because strong families are key to developing strong individuals, um, strong communities, and a strong nation. The port's report starts off, which is start off on a good foot with me, by acknowledging that family is the most uh, fundamental of human institutions. Um, when you're working on policies that that are family oriented, you're actually impacting economics, health, uh, safety, and a range of issues. Can you talk about uh, the importance of family and why paid family leave is so important to this fundamental institution?
3: Yes. So exactly as you um, named, family is fundamental to the flourishing of both individuals and society, and I think this is sometimes so um, so core that it's uh, something that's overlooked. Um, but we all are formed in families. Um, families are not perfect by any means; no one's is. Uh, but w- at our best. Um, God can use families to um, form us as moral be- beings to teach us how to relate to one another, ultimately to teach us how to work and function in a society and function as citizens. Um, so those bonds of love and trust that um, God would intend to grow and um, be nurtured in family are critical to the whole of our society. Um, in our Full, kind of our public theology at Center for Public Justice, we think of family as a first order institution. So it's so important that it deserves respect for and protection um, from other uh, institutions in society. It's it's so foundational. Um, so that's really where we begin.
1: Excellent. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Rachel, so let's... important to understand that foundation. So thank you guys for bringing that out.
2: Yeah, Rachel, let's let's uh, talk, talk us through the the principles that sort of make up make up this report and maybe maybe pull out a, a one or two that you think are uh, you know especially important.
3: Sure. And if if you don't mind, I could also just say, well what what do we think is going on that needs our discussion so we you know we've acknowledged that family is so critical but we also want to draw attention to the ways that families are under stress and are limited in their ability to do um what god calls them to do so we we talk about this in the context um of our economy of our of our culture so there's a whole range and we don't have to get into each of those but i think um listeners are likely uh Thinking about many of these, that kind of our culture in some ways um, devalues uh, family and um, marriage. Uh, In other ways, our um, our sometimes our community institutions aren't so oriented towards family anymore. And then our work, uh, the way that work is structured, often um, either limits or directly conflicts with family time. So we heard from, for example, um, parents who. Uh, who work shifts that are completely opposite one another one, a uh, mom at one time of the day and dad, another time of the day. And they, you know, barely have time to see one another um, and spend time with their children together. And so as modest as that is over time, those kinds of um uh, barriers to togetherness, I think, have a big impact on family. And then, of course, we named um, how many workers are not able to spend time with their family, children, other vulnerable family members, even when they're just born or very ill, because they've got to get back to work or else lose their job. So that's the, um, or they don't have enough money to co- cover even a few weeks off of work. Um, so that's kind of where we, these principles come in. And, um, and thinking about what kinds of both workplaces and public policies could address that um, that stress on families and instead support families in doing what it's core for them to do. Um, I'll just mention a few. And so we're, we're looking at something like paid family leave, which would be a way to um, bolster family time and togetherness. Um, it should, first of all, affirm that family life is foundational, um, which it kind of does inherently. It should also honor work, um, and, and all those who work. So support, you know, supporting those who work by allowing them reasonable time off, reasonable time of non-work is a way, in fact, to honor work. Um, support for families should be effective, not just kind of in name or in, uh, uh, you know, on the surface. And I can get into that in a bit, but, and then we also think it should, um, Address systemic barriers to family stability. Um, so we know that, you know, households who have lower wages, lower asset base, um, do not have the same, um, those same buffers that could enable family time together, even at a critical time like the birth of a child. hm.
2: Well, we're, we're going to talk about uh, some of those principles uh, and so much more. We're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we'll have more conversation with Rachel Anderson with Families Valued, a project of the Center for Public Justice. We'll be right back. We're back at the Church Politics Podcast. And uh, Rachel, uh, there is so much covered in this report uh but w- one policy that we talk about quite a bit on the podcast that's at the uh front of many people's minds when they think of sort of family-friendly pro-family policies is paid family leave. So a uh, very simple question, just as sorry, is you know, what is paid family leave? What is um uh, where uh, in, in what ways does it uh exist in federal policy right now? And kind of what is the the hope for where uh, paid family uh, uh, leave policy might might go in the future.
3: So, sure. So paid family leave is um, any policy that supports a worker, an employee's ability to take time off of work um, to retain their wages and then be able to come back to work, and the time off is for the purpose of family care. Um, so a common, you know, version of paid family leave is maternity leave, time away from work in order to give birth and care for a newborn, um, and to receive some wages during that time, so the so that the family can continue to support itself, um, and then go back to work. Uh, likewise, paternity leave, also you know, leave to care for uh, and elderly family member, for someone who is um, even near death, um, uh, those are important times for um, family leave. Uh, Our current approach to family leave, there's sort of two parts in the United States. The first is um, a law called the Family Medical Leave Act, um, which was enacted in the 1990s. It uh, provides that employees of um, certain organizations, certain size organizations have the right to, to request time off without fear of losing their job. So they can request time off for family uh, or medical reasons um, for up to 12 weeks and then come back to their job without uh, fear of, of being fired. But that doesn't provide any coverage for the income. So most likely uh, a worker would have to um, just cover that period of time with their own savings. Um, What's happened over the years are some employers have come in and provided um, paid family leave policies so that an employer may provide wages for someone during that time. Um, There are a couple other mechanisms, short-term disability. Some employers let um, folks use their um, vacation or sick days. And so you can kind of cobble together something. But on the whole, it results in a situation where Roughly 60% of the workforce has this right to take time off um, up to 12 weeks. But the um, the amount of pay, it widely varies. Often well-paying jobs offer a well-paying leave, and low-wage jobs provide no paid family leave and often very few sick days, short-term disability, all that other stuff. So uh, lower-wage workers um, really won't have... That opportunity for paid time off, and um, and the data shows are, are just m- much more likely to um, to not take time off and not be able to spend the time they want to spend with their family, even a newborn.
1: Yeah. Now. We we certainly on, on this podcast and with the ANN campaign want to affor- affirm the importance of work and the dignity that comes along with work. But when it comes to paid family leave and the way that Americans look at work, it's true that we're pretty far behind other uh, countries. Is that right, Rachel?
3: That's true. Many, many other countries have some version of a of a paid family leave, particularly for maternity and paternity leave.
1: Right. Can you provide us an example of that? Because, you know, one of the in reading the report and just interacting with you guys, one of the things that broke my heart and almost brought a tear to my eyes, just hearing mothers within days or weeks of having a child going back to work. Can you give us an example of how other countries uh, treat this issue?
3: So other countries, uh, many have some public system of um, paid family leave. So um, when a child is born, for example, um, in The the parents can apply for this paid leave benefit. Um, It covers, I can't tell you the specific weeks, but it covers a good portion and they even have a way that it can be divided in different ways between two parents. Um, But it covers like a good portion of the first year of a child's life. on average, other industrialized nations, parents are able to spend um, eighteen weeks. Or mothers, in particular, are able to spend approximately eighteen weeks at home with a new child. Um, in the U.S., our, our our median time at home is ten weeks for a mother and two weeks for a father. And those aren't necessarily paid weeks. Um, and so, for for parents who aren't aren't paid for that time, and can't afford to take the time off it's even much lower um we've got 20 percent of new mothers who return to work in just a few weeks like four weeks after giving birth to a child
1: wow
2: now R- rachel um uh, there's been a lot of talk over uh, even just the last couple of weeks the new york times had a uh, had a significant feature uh on uh parents, uh, uh or, uh, adults delaying, uh, uh, having children. Uh, we know that the fertility, uh, rate has, has gone down. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, p- politically for a moment, uh, conversations about policies like paid family leave and other pro-family policies seem to be more in the, in the conversation and yet demographically and sort of uh, in terms of constituencies uh, it would seem like there might be a growing tension between these policies and the fact that a family life is is changing in this country so significantly so can you can you talk a little bit about whether you know that's a that's a concern for for you in getting these policies enacted and sort of what is the case that you would make to uh to you know uh uh a uh. A voter in their twenties or early thirties who doesn't uh, see uh, uh, starting a family, getting married, having kids in the sort of near t- term future or ever um, for for why these policies make sense and should be something that they that they support.
3: Mm. Well, as I recall that article, um, one of the reasons provided for um, delaying marriage and family is the lack of. Um, I don't know that folks articulate it as a paid family leave benefit specifically, but some of these economic worries are one of the reasons I think that um, starting a family doesn't feel um, present uh, to folks. So that may be part of it. And as we kind of honor and uh, acknowledge um, God's intentions for families, You know, that's how we talk about it within faith communities. And just as a public honor, um, the virtue of family life. uh, It may be uh, things may look different. Um, I think especially if you think about um, right now, we think of uh, any paid family leave we offer is really just a job benefit that you may or may not get. It's particularly it's totally not available if you're a freelance worker or in the gig economy, which many younger folks are, but um, these shifts to thinking about providing paid family leave as part of a more comprehensive system that anyone can participate in, regardless of their um, work status, uh, that might be something that could really benefit um, younger Americans. Um the other thing, I heard something really interesting that re- recently that 20% of millennials are caregivers for someone in their household, and that may be an, an older relative. It just means they have some caregiving duties. So there are a lot of ways that um, even if you are not a parent, um, you're tied to family, and those um, responsibilities um, are important. And in some of these proposals for paid family leave, that would be covered as well.
1: Great. Now... You know, as well as I do, Rachel, that it is rare to get the parties these days to agree on anything. Uh, that That is just a rare case that on any subject uh, we can have agreement and support. Uh, in this case, when it comes to paid family leave, polls show very strong bipartisan support for some sort of paid leave policy, with 71 percent of Republicans supporting the idea and 80 3% of Democrats supporting the idea. Now, uh, the devil, uh, of course, is in the details. And, you know, you still have to work out a lot of different uh, things to make that come together. But that is promising. Can you tell me why you think two questions? Why do you think that, that this has bipartisan support and what issues uh, on what issues do the parties conflict the most when it comes to paid family leave? What's keeping us from getting that policy done? Mm hmm.
3: There are many overlapping reasons to support something like paid family leave. I think that's a big reason why there is bipartisan interest. Um, As we've been talking, there are the, the family supportive reasons, Um, this uh, way that it can um, uh, bolster family life. It also supports uh, workers attachment to work, um, which benefits households. So as parents are able to, um, work, and then take the time off and come back to work. Um, after a period of leave, they're more likely to stay with that employer. Um, for uh, low-income and low-wage jobs where there's often a lot of churn, um, workers are, are more likely to stay in the workforce rather than just, um, you know, kind of get frustrated, frankly, with an employer that and a job situation that doesn't allow them time for family care. Um, so all of that, Work attachment is good for the economy, um, good for business, good for workers, uh, and then also in turn good for families as as um, parents and others are able to sustain a, a, a wage. So those are some of the reasons why there's bipartisan interest. I think, um, and then I should also mention it's good for health. It's good for public health. So a lot of the data is about children soon after birth and there it's pretty clear that um, health outcomes for children who have um, had time, uh, close attachment time with a parent have been able to um, nurse after birth. Their health outcomes are better. And for parents, their health outcomes are better as well, particularly for mothers. The, the challenges um, where, um, different parties and different proposals disagree. Um, there are a couple things. One is how much should it cover? Um, are we talking about an overall, essentially, family leave plus disability program? Or is it more family leave, caregiving leave, or just maternity, paternity leave? Um, and then how is it covered? How is it paid for? Um, would it be would it be covered out of um, two big proposals right now are something out of the social security system, but where a worker would need to, if they accessed uh, a family leave benefit, they would need to give up some of their social security um, income later in life or through kind of new sources of revenue um, that come into the, that come into the system and create a a paid family leave pool that workers could um, draw upon. Those are the real big differences.
2: Yeah, because Rachel, one thing that sort of fascinates me about how this conversation plays out sometimes is, uh, and, and this this may get, get some some eyes rolling, but I'm thinking of small business owners. I, I'm thinking of um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of employers that aren't making you know millions of dollars in profit every every quarter. Uh, but it seems like. These conversations, particularly about paid family leave, often seem to uh, like glance over the impact that this has on employers, sure. that the uh, that that it really is a significant uh, a burden for employers to have to, re- to temporarily re- replace uh, uh, positions that they uh were counting on and counted on enough to have them in their uh have them in their in their uh in their organizational structure in the first place uh and, and so it seems to me that uh that moving forward on these kinds of policies uh is going to require a commitment from from business and employers but it's going to require much more than that it's going to require a a commitment from from all of us and sort of putting all of the responsibility on uh, government putting all of the responsibility on employers themselves seems to me to um to 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 be a simplification of the real concrete challenges that are facing you know the stakeholders that are involved but but can you talk a little bit about um I know that some uh, there have been significant studies of that have shown that offering family friendly policies actually increase productivity actually are a boon to employers. Mm-hmm. But but there's still costs on the on the on the front end that can't be sort of explained away by, uh, you know, sort of the, you know, social science, uh, uh, you know, justification.
3: Sure. So uh, we have been thinking a lot about the. Um, the interplay with um, employers. The Center for Public Justice actually has a um, a program, a capacity building program for faith-based nonprofits. And, uh, and that is you know, separate separate from the policy work that I do. It's focused really on um, helping faith-based organizations, let's say a faith-based organization, um, uh, you know, child care center or um, adoption ministry, it, help them do what they're doing better. And, and so, in the context of that um, initiative, it's called Sacred Sector. Um, my colleagues are thinking a lot about what are these trade offs that um, uh, an organization might need to make between their. Um, their range of benefits, um, for employees and then their mission, which also, you know, requires resource. Um, so we're really thinking a lot about that, um, that reality, particularly for us, um, from the angle of faith-based organizations, but it's important across the board. Um, first thing I'd say is uh, on the policy side is that, um, none of the leading policy proposals right now are an employer mandate. So no one is really, um, or, you know, not loudly, not the main proposals. Uh, none of them are suggesting that the way to get to full paid family leave is to just tell every employer to create this policy and fund it themselves. Um, sometimes people sort of interpret it that way. So I think it's important to note Um the most common approach right now is to think about either this uh, approach that uses the social security system or one that uh, creates a new payroll tax that may be paid by um, just employees or a combination of employer employees and employees. And it's a fairly small amount, like 0.4% uh, of payroll. Um, and that would create a fund that all workers could access. Um, that's also how the number, the several States that have created paid family leave have done it. Um, but even looking beyond that, I think it is um, important to think about the likely cultural shifts that are involved in uh, in this conversation. Um, so a big one would be to say that um, as we value family, we value the, both value family and work and believe that ultimately God would have those to be complementary and not in conflict. Um, it may mean that for the workplace, some of these rhythms of family life are not to be thought about as just an aberration or a detraction from work, but over the big picture are just part of the work of employing humans and uh you know um but that does mean like long-term planning um thinking about how do you cover work uh work functions when somebody is away um all that stuff and i i think that does take a lot of time and um and shift and so i don't think we need to be um i think we need to give one another time for that as well and encourage all of our employers and when we're in organizations encourage um taking up that work over the long haul that's
1: good hey we're gonna take another quick break and then we'll be back with Rachel Anderson on paid family leave
2: we're back at the church politics podcast and uh, Rachel we, we mentioned at the beginning of, uh, of of our interview the fact that the US Senate held uh, a hearing on paid family leave policies uh, last week can you tell us sort of what the significance of that hearing was and, and what we uh, what we might have gleaned about uh how how the senate and how congress might might move forward here
3: yes as uh, as you'd mentioned before this is uh an issue that has uh received and has good reason to receive bipartisan attention so last week the senate um held a hearing on paid family leave um both Uh, Joni Ernst and Kirsten Gillibrand um, testified, two senators, one from Iowa and one from New York. And they offered slightly different versions of what paid leave legislation might look like. Um, But I think a really positive piece that's worth um, underlining, especially now when there's so few Places of bipartisan um, (laughs) collaboration or possibility. It's just how collegial the um, the hearing itself was. Um, uh, At least from my uh, observation, both senators were really um, uh, appreciative of one another's work, and you know, sat together and testified. And the questions were good from all uh, members of the committee. So, uh, you know, yeah, so. For us as citizens, I think something that we can do that's hopeful right now is to continue to encourage our legislators to pursue bipartisan conversation about this and other issues. Um, I think where um, paid family leave is right now is that uh, there are a couple proposals for how to accomplish it. And then now a whole bunch of conversation, ideally, between leaders from both parties um, in, in figuring out what um, what it could look like in the specifics. Um, for our part, as, as we've mentioned, we've offered these eight principles. I've talked about a couple here, but we think these are good principles that um, members of both parties could take into consideration. And were they um, you know, uh, added to the mix? And obviously, some of them balanced with one another might off, pr- produce something that would be um, positive for, for everyone. Um, but in such a polarized, um, environment, even just encouraging, um, legislators to do this bipartisan work and even do the thought work together, I think is really important.
1: That's awesome. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about, uh, pay family leave the eight principles or just, you know, the, uh, report that's coming out, uh, today or this week?
3: So it'll be this week. I would, um, encourage everyone to visit, um, familiesvalued.org if I can share that here, um. That's where we have already posted the policies. We're inviting people to um, sign up if, if they want to receive just monthly updates, uh, that are that are geared both for employers um, thinking about their own family supportive workplace practices, as well as all of us as citizens, how we can advance policies like paid family leave. And I want to mention that this is the one we did a deep dive into, paid family leave for this report, but there are others. And so we're not um, just exclusively focused on paid family leave, um, but we're um, eager to support Christian's um, as citizens and um, as responsible um, uh, organizational leaders, as we try to make both these legal and cultural shifts that can um, support families in our modern economy.
2: Well, Rachel, um, I'm not going to uh, allow you to to get off before I I I, I say uh, this. Uh, I, I want I want listeners to. Um, Really appreciate the 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 fact that uh, I think so often we we pine for Christian organizations and leaders that are you know completely in the in the mix in D.C. in the mix in uh, in in the confusing confounding important work of policymaking Uh, and as someone who's known Rachel for. Quite some time. I just want to let, let y'all know that that if you've been pining for uh, uh, for people like that, uh, Rachel is one of them, and uh, the Center for Public Justice is an organization that is very much in the mix uh, here uh, in DC, uh, uh, in the capital. Uh, and and we should just uh, we should just be thankful for the for the work that's reflected not just in this report, but. But Rachel, in your life, uh, in the long history of the Center for Public Justice, uh, it, this is not an organization uh, that sends out emails that will that will light your hair on fire. Uh, they're not uh, fundraising off of uh, uh, conspiracy theories and sort of uh, 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 attacks against you know whoever the enemy of the day is. They're an organization that's doing. The uh, quiet, important work um, to to find common ground uh, to advance justice. Uh, and Rachel, you've done that not just here with this report, but in your work on uh, payday lending uh, in your work in Boston. And we're so excited for what's going to come out of uh, Families Valued. Uh, we're going to for, for our listeners, we're going to share uh familiesvalued.org dot uh, on uh, the, the, with the link to this podcast, you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to visit, you'll be able to read the report for yourself, uh, and would ask you to, to stay up to date on this conversation. Uh, as Justin mentioned, we think this, this area of, uh, pro family policymaking is, is really one of the most critical for, uh, for the future of our politics, for the future of our country. And, uh, and Rachel, thanks so much for, for being, being in the fray.
3: Thank you so much for both of you.
2: Well, Justin, uh what a great conversation with Rachel. I so appreciate all of the uh the the wisdom and thought that her and Center for Public Justice have brought to uh, this issue and you know, I'm personally excited to see how how families valued, you know, develops. I think it's so important that you have a a Christian organization that is uh a Christian organization that is uh, putting pro-family uh, making, you know, at, at the fore in such a in such a uh, such a thoughtful way.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that paid family leave is becoming a national issue, that we're having a national conversation. And within that conversation, you do have a biblical witness. And so I thank the Center for Public Justice for providing that biblical witness in the center of this conversation. As Christians, we should all care about families. We should all be working towards policies that keep our families from being broken because we can have whatever other policy you want. And I can name a lot of other policies. But if your families are broken, if we don't have you know, if we as a culture don't respect the family, then a lot of that stuff's going to be for not. And so as Christians, we should be paying attention to this paid family leave um, conversation I know Michael and I are going to give you all ways to get involved in it, ways to make sure that your legislators know what you think about it. And so just stay tuned. Uh, we need to get this passed and the sooner the better. Well,
2: uh, folks, uh, as always, great uh, having you with us for another episode of the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, when we get back, I promise we're going to talk Supreme Court. We're going to talk about uh, NATO and this uh, summit that happened and then, Lord knows what's going to transpire between now and the next time we're with you. Uh so uh we'll we'll be looking forward to it uh, until then be blessed. This is the Church Politics podcast. Thanks.
0: In the favelas and slums together with inhabitants it's like can anything good come out of Nazareth. The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me when I'm sold the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. Frederick Douglas with a fake. You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right too with savings on Miracle Grow Potting Mixed with fertilizer to help you get growing. And grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50 quart bag now for just $10. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32 quart vegetables and herbs, three for $10. For a garden that's worthy of showing off, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6 5 while supplies last US only, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Come to the Home Depot this month and you'll learn a thing or two, actually three, with three free do-it-yourself workshops. Learn how to grow an edible raised garden bed, how to build a catch-all nightstand organizer, even how to install wall tile. See, it's never too late to learn something new. Register today at homedepot.com slash workshops for a free do-it-yourself workshop near you. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. The Home Depot is making it easy to turn your favorite moment into the perfect color for any room with the Project Color app. Upload any image, then discover the colors and paint to match. Now you're a swipe and a click closer to everything you need for your next project. Explore the most popular colors and trending palettes to find your perfect paint. Get a colorful new experience with the Project Color app, then shop our best brands with gallons starting from just $25.97 at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only see store for details. E-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves, and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. Two, nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more.